The Start on On Demand. It's been one year since the distracted driving laws became a lot harsher in Manitoba. What have we learned? We'll talk to the Winnipeg police to see how much our behavior has changed. Although, Loren McNabb went out with a trucker on Thursday, and based on what he's saying, doesn't sound like a whole lot has changed. He also weighs in on what he thinks of the south perimeter, and he has three and a half million kilometers under his belt, so he knows a thing or two about what makes a good highway. And why are we so sleep-deprived? We'll speak to the sleep expert from the University of Manitoba, Diana McMillan. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Friday, November 1st podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. First, about 60 seconds ago, I came stomping down the hall because I was outside playing with my phone, having a vape, and, and don't don't do that. If you don't smoke, by the way, don't start vaping. And then McNabb comes stomping into the studio was, while Greg was relaxed. Trying to think about the possibility of one day just all of us not being in here, like assuming the, the other one's got it. Like Brett will be in there. I'll, I'll get there eventually, but Brett will be there. And I was in here earlier, and I was the only one in here, and I was so uncomfortable that I left. I was like, I can't be in here by myself. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. you guys crack me up. Could be just Forte. Crack the mic and Jeff Forte just take oh, it Oh, I take over the show. It's my show now. Yeah. You have the lineup. You know what we're doing. You can talk about it. I don't know about that. Plus, right? your mom would Friday. love Let's it, take Forte. It. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's slide out. Yeah, you can call your mom on the air. Why don't we do that anyway? I think we should. Won't she? Uh, is she up? <laughs> oh, yeah, she's up. She's up. Maybe one day. Maybe. Think she's listening right now? I, she's going to probably text me in like two seconds. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to you, she's texting you in two seconds. <laughs> All right, well, let us know if she does text you, Jeff Forte. How many uh, kids did you have out at your house, McNabb, for Halloween? Well, we do this thing, and we, we live in a circle, and so all the neighbors will pool money together for candy. We set up one table. And then that way all the other families can go out with their kids and we'll, we'll take turns kind of manning this table at the end of the circle. How many houses are in on this? I think there's like seven this? houses and we each put in 20 bucks and, and so, so if I'm showing hundreds up, of candy. If I'm showing up with my pillowcase, oh, yeah, you, you are you, am I getting seven houses worth oh, of candy? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, just easily. Sure. Oh, easily. And right. it's easy, too. Like we're just par- parked at the end, so you don't have to go door to door for your Look one piece that. or two piece. Anyway, I would say we usually get at least 100 kids. And let's say that's about what we got last night. 100 kids, not bad. Yeah. Mackling? We did not get 100. We had 100 last year. I think we were maybe around 35 or 40. We were down dramatically, and it all came in a very small window. In fact, I went out looking to see where my boys were at at around quarter to 8, maybe 8 o'clock. There was nobody hmm. on the bay. It was done. It was it like was one over. of the nicest Halloweens I think we've had Gorgeous. in ages. Yeah, some nice white fluffy snow coming down at different parts, uh, at least where we were. It was a terrific night for trick-or-treating. Some of the costumes just 
are hilarious now, right? All the different things they can do with these different fabrics and, mm-hmm. and uh, printing that they can do that make them like, you know, like the hot dogs and that like we had a whole like family of food come to our door at one point and I just, I cracked up because they're so good head to toe in these and in, in, I don't know what kind of fabric it is, but it looks super warm mm-hmm. and the colors are so vivid, you know exactly what they are. There's no question. It really makes you realize your parenting skills like on the costume front like I sent a picture out of my kids and I bought their costumes at a store in a package and my brother's like oh cool what are they and I was like I don't know (laughs) came with like a vest and a handcuffs and a gun but it's not a police officer and there's like a headset I think maybe it's FBI but it doesn't say FBI (laughs) and it could be like a guy who jumps out of a plane but there's no parachute so I was like they're just they're on the patrol. They loved it. They thought it was great. And then you see all these other costumes show up where people have put in hours, like sure. painstakingly piecing things together. And my kids are just in, like, I, honest to God, couldn't tell you what they were. I saw a guy got arrested once at uh, Buffalo Bill's Saloon because he was wearing a police uniform. Oh, oh like, a, like, like impersonating a, a police actual, officer. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. But yeah. was it Halloween? Yep. Come on. And they arrested him? They arrested him. Well, because it was a real... Was it a real I guess, uniform? I guess it was. I don't know. I, maybe, mm. or maybe it was close enough Too that he looked real. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. they. I mean, it was. It was a very quiet arrest. They just sort of quietly, you know, turned him around and put handcuffs on him and escorted him out. And he had a kind of a grin on his face. I think he. Uh, it was just one of those. Okay, dude, like. You can't do this. So right. We're going to escort you out of the bar. Who knows if they put him in the car? I don't know what happened. But I was stunned to see that. And I, that's when I learned can't impersonate a police officer. No, cannot do it. It's almost like stolen valor. It's just not done. And yeah, they're legality well, you can for when sure. you're eight years old. When you're eight, there are no real eight year old police officers. I think that's the rub. I don't there. know. They took it pretty seriously when they were practicing with the costume. You know, they like to play with it. They. I came home the other day and my oldest was. Was like stick him up, mom, FBI. <laughs> and so I get out of the car and I'm like, "You mess with the wrong lady, kid." He's like, "I know. I've been talking to the deer, <laughs> like, <laughs> like all the deer I killed." <laughs> I was like, "Oh boy, we've created a whole like fantasy out of <laughs> the stuff they hold on to and yeah. then they throw back in your face." I was like, "Hey, do you remember <laughs> back in 2017 when you said this?" No, well I do, and today is payback time. Right. They remember everything you said. Do you remember the time you told, no, I don't remember that. And it was probably, you know, a fib of some sort. But they remember everything they tell you. got to be so careful. It is funny what kids. you remember. Still I, still the things that I remember from my childhood, the things that, the incidents where my parents got mad. And I'll say, hey, you remember that time, uh, <laughs> you know, where you did this or you said that? And my dad will just look at me with this blank stare at the, Say I have zero recollection of this. Meanwhile, it was a and that moment it was you know the the end of the world. What well, was the biggest kid. thing that probably had happened to you in your life to that point in time? Yeah. and so you carry with it with you forever. And uh, your parents are just like, ah, this is another blip in time, another yeah. time that you were a little little brat, <laughs> yeah, and deserved the come up, whatever come up and come I was in the middle of receiving. It also sucks for parents because it's like you only remember certain things and you might only remember the time that they were mad as opposed to like all the other great times you had with them. It sort of seems to be this not like an unbalanced scale, which seems point. unfair as a mom, right? You're I, like, I are they all going to grow goes. up just pointing the finger like it's all mom's fault? Well, that's the trauma. <laughs> they just remember the trauma and the drama. Hey, speaking of drama, we have... 
tickets to give away at 7.15 for Superhero Showdown. One more pair of tickets. We also have a pair of tickets. I think we're going to do this on social media, just deciding if it's going to go on Facebook or Instagram, for the Simon and Garfunkel story. Because at 6.45, we want to have a conversation about what are the things in movies or TV shows, particularly sci-fi, that you wish would come to be. Terminator Dark Fate is out this weekend, and those movies have predicted all sorts of crazy stuff for the future. So is there anything in movies or TV that you would like to see happen? Like the hoverboard Mm -hmm. from Back to the Future Mm -hmm. 2. Not these stupid hoverboards they have now where people fall on their face. I mean an actual hoverboard that floats. I would like to see that I think we're all waiting for that, right? Yeah. Because when you heard that they were coming out with those things, yeah. you thought, oh, my goodness. And there was wheels on it. That doesn't count. Yeah. And you, that's and you, a skateboard. That's, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a it's mini Segway. That is not no. a hoverboard. This no. is not what we – doesn't Nike have the self-tying shoes? I think so, yeah. Right? That just came out. So there are some really cool – bits of technology that were predicted in the movies over the years that have come to fruition. And I printed off a list of some of those things, and it's incredible how accurate some of it has been and how far back it was called for and predicted. So we'll uh, we'll maybe go down that road as well a little bit this morning. And distracted driving anniversaries today, right? Yeah, and we're going to get into that a bit more after 7 about what we're seeing on the roads. It's been one year since they made all those changes to the distracted driving laws, which includes suspensions. And so we've got some thoughts from a trucker that I jumped on the road with yesterday about what he sees from that vantage point on his big rig. But first, we wanted to start the conversation about the south perimeter because, of course, it was one week ago today that a young man lost his life on the South Perimeter Highway and we know his name was Ethan. He was 19 years old and his mom shared with us his name and her hopes that no family ever has to go through what they're now going through. In her words, her son was just stopped in traffic on the perimeter. She was He was waiting for it to start moving again and then he was struck. So that collision prompted a conversation with truck driver David Henry. He joined us on the show Monday, and he worked with REK Express and actually invited us out for a drive with him if we wanted to see what life was like on the road. And so yesterday, I hopped into his truck to check out things from his perspective. And on that journey, you can actually see several crosses. You guys probably know this from any trip you take in in Manitoba. You see crosses marking the spots at different intersections where lives have been lost. First thing I think of is the person or people that died there. Uh, The next thing is I'm thankful that somebody has taken the time to have a cross and to think about them. And then the last thing I think about is that um, there's a reason why an accident happened there and why is that? And is there something I need to be extra cautious about um, to make sure that doesn't happen again? What did we learn from that? Exactly. So we started in Oak Bluff. We drove east on the south perimeter to Furmore, and then we cut down Plessis onto Regent and Ladge, and then back up Lajamodi again to the south perimeter and over to Headley. We actually did that route twice just to see all the different concerns he had, and at almost every interchange or cloverleaf, he had a problem. This exit from Highway 1 eastbound coming onto the perimeter southbound is kind of off camber and it's got a couple of little curves in it instead of one long gradual curve and if it's slippery you have to be paying attention on that one 
and go less than the posted limit or you're going to be uh, having skid marks in your shorts trying to recover from not hitting the uh, the shoulder. Can I be honest? It feels like almost every turn we've made on and off the perimeter has come with some sort of warning from you. <laughs> Except one. <laughs> So one section of road he didn't have a problem with is when you're coming off Lage onto the westbound south perimeter. Otherwise, he was basically had issues with all parts of the road. It's bumpy. It's not well put together. You know, they've made some changes over the last few years, but there are a lot of issues for as far as he's concerned, not to mention the drivers. So people speeding, texting and driving, truck drivers darting in and out of traffic and making mistakes that could cost them. Let's talk about what this guy's doing here. He's turning right here. He's using the shoulder to turn. Yeah, because he doesn't want to be in the way of the traffic. It's not legal to do what he's doing, but I can understand what he's, why he's doing that because he's afraid I'm going to run up into the back end of him. Do you see that a lot? Oh, lots. Do you guys know what I'm saying there? Have you been on the perimeter and you're about to make a right turn off oh, yeah. into one of the smaller areas? So where, for example, for Greg, I don't know where that would be for you, but yesterday when I went to meet him in Oak Bluff, I realized I was going 100 kilometers an hour. He told me I could turn right at this one road, and I'm forgetting the name now, but there is no turning lane. So part of me thought, am I actually supposed to, like, turn right off this main highway? The answer is yes. Yeah, there's no deceleration lanes and places for you to get out of the flow of traffic at a reasonable speed without impeding the people behind you and either tapping or, in worst-case scenario, slamming on your mm -hmm. brakes because, oh, all of a sudden you're at your intersection, an intersection in a lot of cases that just plain and simply shouldn't exist or there should be proper deceleration lanes. And they have added some of those, but not everywhere, right? And so David Henry, he's driven for 31 years and again now with REK Express in Oak Bluff and he had this final thought. I have 3.5 million kilometers behind me. You have 3.5 million kilometers under yeah. your belt. Yeah. How do you rate the South Perimeter Highway of all the highways you've traveled? don't like it one little bit. I'm sorry, Manitoba. It's just, I, I hate that south perimeter. I, I hate it with a passion. The road is rough. Too many lights, people speeding. It, it's just crazy in there. They've made these changes. They've closed off some of the intersections so you can have people cutting across the perimeter and making left or right turns depending on which direction they're coming from. And they've added deacceleration lanes. Has that helped? Oh, it's helped a lot, and thanks to the minister for that, for getting that done. But unfortunately, we just haven't gone far enough. We're our own worst enemies, Absolutely. though, Absolutely, right? yeah. For as bad as the road is, we are not very good at following the rules along there, anywhere, in my opinion. But it's, it's magnified there, isn't it? Yeah, and it's magnified from that view. It's pretty neat to be up in a truck. I don't know if you guys have ever hopped in a semi before, but you're obviously much higher up. You see so much more. You can kind of see all the bad habits driving by as well. And so that's what we're going to talk about after 7, because, yes, there are all sorts of design flaws in the south perimeter. But overall, you heard him list some of the bad habits there that people have. And high on the list is texting and driving. And we saw all sorts of examples of that yesterday. I also saw a woman doing her nails behind the car, you know, while she's sitting there at a light at Regent and Lajamodier. And my, my cousin Carol used to do that. I remember we visited her family in Ontario and my mom was in the car with her and I was in the car with my uncle and she was speeding between two semi trucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, doing well over 100 while she was doing her nails, just very casually. Right, with her using her knee to drive. Probably. Right. 
Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And uh, you won't believe the percentage of drivers he thinks are texting and driving, at least when they're at the lights. It shocked me. And Kevin, the garbage man, texted us, 204-780-6868. He says, I see everyone in their cells from my point of view. And Eve, he says, I have close to 3 million kilometers. And I also echo his sentiment. And then Jason saying, same story all the way up. 59 regarding turnoffs and using the shoulder as to not be rear-ended. So this is a very common thing. We thank you for your feedback, and you can continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. I know that with the the increased, uh, the beefed-up distracted driving laws, I am very careful to... Uh, My phone, I am addicted to my phone, Mm -hmm. but when I'm in the car, I just put it down. I don't have it hooked up. I don't even have it hooked up to Bluetooth. So if I get a phone call when I'm in the car, I just miss it. I've thought about that, that I need to disable the Bluetooth and put the the phone in the trunk. I like to think I'm pretty good at it. But even yesterday, after we had this whole conversation about safety, I'm in the parking lot with David. And I'm about to pull away and realize I wanted to send a quick text um, about the fact that we'd wrapped up. I wanted to let you guys know how it had gone. And I had the car in reverse. In the parking lot. And foot on the brake. Foot on the brake. And I reach for my phone and I'm like, Loren. What are you doing? Yes. <laughs> like you're at a complete stop. You're in a parking lot. There's no one around you. But he just finished talking to you. We sure. just talked about all the crosses on the roads and the different bad habits we see and the bad designs. And there I was. Yeah, magnifying it, amplifying it because, well, in, at the end of the day, the biggest problem is it's all about us. It's right. about what we want to do and we want to do it now. All right, too many potholes, poor signage, not enough clover leaves or overpasses or underpasses. We've talked a lot about the problems with the design of our roads, and that's a conversation we'll continue to have. But today we also want to just talk about how we are driving. So we shared with you in the last half hour a trip I took with a truck driver, David Henry. He's got three and a half million kilometers under his belt. And yesterday we added another 160 kilometers traveling around the perimeter and through parts of Transcona and St. Boniface. worst habit you see on the roads these days? I would say the ignorance of the laws. The ignorance of what you're supposed to be doing. So that covers a lot whether it's uh, distracted driving or whatever but simple things like pulling onto the shoulder when you're not supposed to be um, where to turn from in other situations when you can merge, when you can't you know, that truck pulling into the left lane ahead of us on a solid line, you know, he shouldn't be, the solid line is between the two lanes for a reason, you know. So pretty much everything on his list there, he was pointing out as it was happening in front of us, and you may have picked up that he mentioned distracted driving first. One year ago today, Manitoba changed the law so that anyone caught texting and driving receives an automatic three-day suspension on their license. I don't know if that's made a difference to you guys, Brett. You were saying that's impacted you in driving, the fact that you could get that suspension? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I look, I admit that I used to text and drive all the time. Back when I had the flip phone with the T9 text sure. and the, the tactile buttons, I could do it eyes closed. Right. Um, and then when I made the transition to a smartphone, it became vastly more difficult, but I would still do it. And now I don't. It's just, it's not worth it. Um, 
not just for the fact that I could be penalized, but for the safety factor. So it's a three-day suspension, right, Greg? And then if it's second one, it's a seven-day suspension. That's right. And so MPI tells us that more than 2,500 suspensions have been issued. That's about seven and seven drivers suspended in Manitoba every single day for using their phone. That's so the av- that would be the average if we took the, the 2500. Sure. And so that means we're getting the message but maybe only to a certain point. So the, from the cab of David's truck you could see all sorts of distractions. There first there was that woman in Transcona I was telling you about. We were stopped at the lights at Regent and Lajemodier. She was buffing her nails while sitting at the light. Then we noticed another driver quietly checking their phone, another reaching for it as they pulled up to the light on the perimeter and David says at some stops he will look around and see 3 quarters of the drivers around him on their phone. I'd say 75% easily, easily on any given day at a light, sometimes closer to 100%. On the highway, the numbers are closer, you know, are further down. But it's pretty scary how many people are doing that. At some parts, he said 100%. Like, he'll look around, he'll sit at the light, and he'll see every driver in his vantage point touching or talking on their phone. And you just heard him say on the highway at the end of that statement, meaning he's also seeing people while at full speed texting and driving. On the, on the open highway, people think it's easier to do that and not to have any problems. And you'll see a vehicle drifting one way or the other. You get up beside them, and sure enough, they're playing something on their phone checking something out happens all the time going 100 kilometers an hour or more oh absolutely yep that's crazy to me that you could pass somebody and the and the sadder part is perhaps that they don't stop doing it like even the idea of someone driving past you and seeing what you're doing greg you think even the shame would get someone yeah you know and for me and brett i was much like you in the early days of texting Uh, i used to see it as found time as i think a lot of us do when we're in our cars it's an opportunity to make phone calls and to connect with people but i used to do it on via text all the time and then i had a hard time weaning myself Mm -hmm. off the phone and to imagine that minnesota just a few months ago brought in their very first distracted driving laws Mm -hmm. with regard to driving and talking on your phone and texting and driving. Manitoba's had these laws on the books for several years, and then now we're a year into what I would call this very heightened law where the message from the government is that this is serious stuff, okay? We're not messing around, and I think we're getting the message mostly, but based on what David told you, maybe we're we're really not getting it. I know for me, I don't even, I put my phone in a certain spot. I have it on hands free. I have the message typically. I think it still happens when you text me. I'm not available to talk. I'm driving right now or I can't text you back. I'll text you when it's safe. Uh, these sorts of things, but uh, lots of people not getting the message. If 20, like the equivalent of seven people a day mm-hmm. are losing their license for three days at a time, I guess we're not getting the message. One year ago today, new distracted driving laws in Manitoba came into effect. The fine tripled from $203 to a much larger $672. The offense also now comes with five demerits and a three-day license suspension. Back then, Traffic Division Inspector Gord Spado said, quote, and these are all four quotes from Gord Spado, if your phone is mounted on your dash, 
You can touch it, but only once. You can touch it once to initiate, accept, or end a call. That's it. If you're tapping it multiple times in a row, we would deem that to be inappropriate use and you would get a ticket for that. It's not illegal for your phone to be sitting on your lap, but if you use it or even look at it, you can be busted. So since those changes in the driver's license suspension took effect 365 days ago, MPI tells us that they've processed 2,514 three-day suspensions. There have also been 15 seven-day suspensions handed out, and those are if you're caught on a second offense. Traffic Division Inspector Gord Spado joins us now to kind of cut through some of these numbers. Good morning. Good morning. If I do the math, this averages out to about seven people a day having their license suspended. So I can't decide, is this, are we seeing improvement or is this a sad statement that that's how many suspensions we've handed out despite these beefed up laws? Well, I, I think it's still a sad statement that there's that many people that still uh, don't take this seriously. Uh, as far as offenses go, we're in Winnipeg, we're seeing about a 30% drop in offense notices issued, but um, I don't think that's indicative of the uh, acceptance of the public that this is uh, not something they should be doing. I think it's uh, there's a lot more people doing it than what we've caught. And is that because you have a shortage of resources to catch these people, Inspector, or is there something more to it? No, I don't, I don't think it's the resource issue. What I think it is is that people are being uh, a little bit more savvy in how they're using their phones. They're holding them lower, um, which is actually even more dangerous. Because uh, if you do the math, if you take your eyes off the road for three seconds to to uh, read a text at 50 kilometers an hour, you're traveling almost the le- half the length of a football field, essentially blindfolded. And uh, I think that's very, very dangerous. So what we have to do is uh, we're actually in the process of changing of some of our tactics on how we try to detect people using their phones. Yeah, like what, what, can, what can you do or when can you pull someone over? Like if you see someone look to their side, uh, to the right, you don't know if they're looking at their phone. They could be, you know, just grabbing their coffee or doing whatever. But, uh, you know, if you suspect they're on their phone, can you just pull them over? We can pull them over and have a conversation, but that wouldn't result necessarily in, a, in an offense notice being issued. Um, we see people all the time doing the head bob looking into their laps and we know exactly what they're doing. Um, but there is that odd chance that they could be picking some, picking their nails or, uh, doing something else that's not illegal. So, uh, generally we want to see the phone and seeing how it's being handled. What's the reaction been from drivers? Like I can only imagine if I've received a ticket, I'll be honest, about five years ago for texting and driving, and the thought of losing my license like puts me into kind of a cold sweat given the need for it. So what do you hear from drivers when they're pulled over and you say, yep, yeah, sorry, your license is being yanked for three days? Well, there's been a, a few different reactions, but uh, one of the more common ones is people thinking that they should be able to choose their suspension time, like especially contractors who need their uh, license during the week. They want to be able to serve their suspensions on the weekend when it's convenient for them, and that's just not how it works. Uh, there's still people that are shocked and, and weren't even aware that it's an offense, which I find hard to believe But uh, with the amount of publicity that it's got, but that's what they're telling us. Gord, my kids are 13 years old now. I've got twin boys, and, and they ask about driving all the time, and they're very in tune with what's going on in the road. And I tell you, I've had to change my <laughs> tactics and how I deal with other people in traffic. I, I've calmed down quite a bit. And this whole idea I'm trying to instill in them that, that it's about politeness and the idea that it's not all about you. Is that really what's at the heart of this, is that we want to turn left there and we want to turn left there now, which is why 
people leave their bumpers sticking out into traffic when you've got a median you can hide in. That's why people want their suspensions served on weekends, etc. There's a whole long list of examples we could give. Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head that uh, you have to be patient when you're driving, and it isn't all about you. There's more people on the road. Everybody's got things that they want to be doing, and um, you just have to exercise some patience and understanding that that's that's reality, and uh, drive drive accordingly. Like road rage is probably one of the biggest uh, things that we see, where people are saying that, well, my time's more valuable than yours, so get out of the way. Right, that, that's what causes road rage in a lot of cases. So we need an attitude adjustment. What about technology? We've had some listeners write in this morning saying, "Look, these penalties are really tough. If you're still handing out that many license suspensions, obviously the penalty is still not doing enough to deter people." Is do we have to start talking about cars, you know, disabling phones or not having them work while we're in our cars? Uh, well, the thing is, the technology is there, right? These uh, iPhones, for example, have the ability to put on "Do Not Disturb" while you while you're driving, and that can be based on whether your car your phone's connected to your Bluetooth in your car or just by the movement of the phone, it recognizes that you're in a vehicle and it'll disable the, your features. And but that's an optional thing, and to try to make it a mandatory uh, thing where people don't have control over it, I think is going to be very difficult to do. What about driving while being suspended? Are you catching folks that get the three-day or seven-day suspension and then they get pulled over again? Uh, you know what? I don't have the stats on that. I can't tell you. It wouldn't surprise me um, because I think people do kind of take this, take driving for granted as though it's their right and it doesn't matter if they have their license or not and they'll just continue driving. Like we drive, we catch people. We had a couple this week that uh, didn't even have a license. They were already suspended and we caught them on their phones. But it wasn't the suspension because of the phone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, people. some people will drive. Some people uh, will abide by the suspension. So uh, I can't say that we have or haven't. Winnipeg Police Traffic Division Inspector Gord Spado joining us live on 680 CJOB. Inspector, thank you for this. Okay, thank you very much. There is some good news that's come out of Kildonan Park because that restaurant, Prairie's Edge, had to close... Because the park closed after that huge snowstorm because there were trees down everywhere, branches down everywhere, simply wasn't safe. But Prairie's Edge and the headline at cjob.com, Kildonan Park Restaurant to reopen after Manitoba snowstorm forced closure. During the closure, Prairie's Edge moved to the Esplanade Riel in pop-up form and it's going to reopen in Kildonan Park November 6th at 9 a.m. while the pop-up will remain open until November 3rd. And the restaurant worried for its future, uh, but thankfully the uh, city was able to get in there and clean up enough that the restaurant can reopen. But the park, it will remain closed. No word on when that's going to open again. Yeah, Doug Three Steven. weeks since that closed, though, right, in terms of the storm. Three that's weeks right. today. So that's kind of crazy when you think about how long it took just to get that part of the park ready enough for that restaurant. Well, Doug Steven, uh, obviously very grateful, but he was concerned about the long-term future. I'll never forget the day that uh, I had to close the Earls in Vernon about six hours early because of a power outage, and our regional manager came to visit us a few days later, and he said, Mackling, what happened on Monday night? You closed early. I go, yeah, Steve, we had no power. (laughs) He's like, "Uh, do you have an ice machine? Yeah. Is it working? Yeah. Was it full of ice? Probably. You have a barbecue? Yeah, we have a barbecue. Like, Mm -hmm. 
he wanted to emphasize the idea, A, you have to do everything you can to keep open and stay open regardless of the situation. And he just, we went over some numbers and he goes, you have to realize that with the razor thin margins in the restaurant business, it's possible that a couple of days could ruin your whole month. And then if you have a bad month, it could really put your whole business in a precarious situation. So the idea that Prairie's Edge is by the time they get open is going to lose almost a month in there is obviously not an ideal situation. But good to see the city come through. And a shout out to the guys that were on my property two days ago. They came in with the bucket truck. They cleaned up my city tree and then all the debris that I'd put up at the end of the end of my property to, to get hauled away. They did an absolutely fantastic job. Also, we want to just revisit the conversation on distracted driving. The question of the day at cjob.com, which is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. It's been one year since the beefed-up distracted driving laws took effect. I know that's not the uh, official jargon, but... uh, I, it's just fun to say that. Beefed up. Has your behavior been altered as a result? Be honest. So far, 65% say, yes, I never touch my phone. 35% say, yes, but I still sneak in the odd text. And so far, no one saying, no, I just can't put the phone down. Mm. So I'm going to 680CJOB's Twitter now because we put the same poll up on Twitter. And so far, 55% say I never touch the phone. 39% say still sneak the odd text. 6% 6% say, I just can't put it down. Well, we had Inspector Gord Spado on just after 8 talking about the fact that he says there's been a 30% reduction in the number of tickets they're handing out for this offence. But he doesn't think that means people are not doing it as much as they were a year ago. They're just getting better at how they do it. You know, they might look down in their lap or have their phone in a different spot. So I think those answers kind of reflect that in the sense of hardly anyone saying... No, I don't do it anymore. But right? at least people are admitting it, and that's yeah. what we're looking for is some honesty on this because uh, nobody's uh, perfect. And uh, would love to hear from you, actually, at 780-6868. If you've received a ticket, if you lost your license for three days, how has it changed you? Have you gone from I can't put it down to now I never touch it because the punishment was way too hard for you and it was something that uh, has altered the way you do things which is obviously we don't want people to have to go there but 2500 Winnipegers have uh, felt the wrath of the uh, beefed up as you call it Brett and I think that's apt description of it the the new legislation would love to hear from you if you've received one of those tickets and suspension 7806868 and someone asking on text at 2047806868 what's the penalty again and it jumped from what $203 Correct. to 672 that's right and then there's also the five demerits and the 3 day license suspension and if you're caught a second time after you've had your license suspended, it's a seven-day suspension. So $672 is a huge hit, but I don't think that money was enough. I think the suspension is probably what's deterring some. I would say in order, it's the money, it's the amount of the ticket, the five demerits, because that's going to cost you for a while on your license, regardless of whether you're at plus 15 merits or if you're hovering around zero or in the the negative area, that's really going to hurt you. And then losing your license for three days. For most of us, that's just a non-starter. And we heard Gord Spado talk about the idea that there are some people saying, hey, hey, I want to be able to serve my suspension maybe on the weekend or something. No, it doesn't 
doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of an immediate thing. They give you a few hours, right, Loren, to get your get your house in order, and then the suspension goes into uh, yeah. I think it effect, starts within right? twenty four hours of the time you get it, but you can't say, oh, can we delay it to the long weekend or sure. whatever if you have one. And you know, we had talked to a truck driver uh, just after seven o'clock, David Henry, and he was saying at some intersections. I took a ride with him yesterday. He says it's as much as a hundred percent of people stopped at a light, all looking at their phones. So to think about that being like a, a number that he was quite willingly ready to throw out, seventy five percent was his safe bet, but a hundred percent of the time he often feels like he looks around and everybody is on their phone at the light because when they're at the light, people. We had a listener say they saw someone at a light and they rolled down their window and told this guy to get off the phone, and the guy said, "I'm not looking at my phone." She, and then he said, well, "Are you looking at your crotch then, basically?" And that's what people are doing. That's what you can tell. They're looking down. There's no doubt. There are some telltale signs. And by the way, shout out to Joanne who texted us at 7806868. She did not admit to getting one of these tickets, but she did point out, and uh, all three of us had this information, and we just didn't go far enough. The The restaurant we were just talking about, Prairie's Edge in Kildonan Park, they actually hired their own arborist to get things cleaned up with the permission of the city. So that's a uh, kudos to them for taking that extra step and kudos to the city for giving them permission to do that because that enterprise just had to get restarted again. You just can't be closed for that amount of time. And a reminder, go to our 680 CJOB Facebook page for your chance to win tickets for the Simon and Garfunkel story. We're asking you the question, what kind of stuff, what technology would you like to see from sci-fi movies or TV become reality? We cited the the hoverboard as a classic example from Back to the Future too. Well, we're getting a whole bunch of comments on our Facebook page. We're going to pick a winner before 10 o'clock. I like this one uh, from Jan, who says... Uh, well, if they call it a Jedi sword, it's a lightsaber, but that's good enough. A lightsaber would be cool. Would, Not practical. You, doesn't what it would cut you, you in half? That? Like, doesn't it kill it you? Yeah, yeah, it could cut you in half. Yeah, if, I, if you were to just reach across the room and wave it at uh, somebody, they'd be sliced in half. But I suppose, I mean, that would be great for cleaning up the trees. Campfires. You know, all the debris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget a chainsaw. Mm. Yeah. Just whip out the lights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they cut through rock. They cut through metal. They cut through anything. <laughs> Keep those comments coming on Facebook. On Tuesday, Vita Health had a seminar hosted by naturopathic doctor Stephanie Rubino called Why Am I So Tired? And she came to visit us that morning to tee it up. Then Wednesday, we talked about how I almost fell asleep at the wheel the day after talking about how we should pull over if we are sleepy at the wheel. Like that afternoon, after our conversation Tuesday morning, I almost crashed my car on Route 90 because I was falling asleep at the wheel. So the subject of getting some extra sleep always comes up as we head into the good time change weekend. So we thought it would be a good time to bring in our friend, the sleep expert from the University of Manitoba, Associate Professor Diana McMillan. Good morning, Diana. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us once again. So the good time change weekend, this is the one, it's only an hour of sleep, but everybody looks forward to that extra hour. Well, I think it's because they're sleep deprived, but I, I'm going to rain on your parade a little bit um, because uh, even though we often consider it a good time change um, and it could be if we actually got some sleep, what we we also see happening is that people stay up later yep. um, because, hey, you know, we don't need to get up so early, uh, but their circadian clock wakes them up 
in the morning at the same time. So in fact, you can actually see some individuals getting um, additional sleep deprivation. So you stay up an hour later, for example, might mm-hmm. be even more than that, and you lose the hour because you naturally wake at your old time. Right. So it takes a, it usually takes a day or two to adjust, and actually for some individuals it takes longer than that. And uh, that's part of the reason why um, collectively the Canadian Sleep Society, of, um, which is made up of researchers and sleep condition, clinicians, of which I'm a member, um, is recommending that we stop changing our clocks. So it's a thing. It's it's like it, this is not good for our bodies to keep moving the clocks. Well, it is challenging in terms of our circadian rhythm. and um, Which is? The circadian rhythm is like your own internal body clock, right? And so we know that um, not just our sleep and wake, but our body temperature, um, our blood pressure, cortisol levels, these different stress hormones, all are... Um, Uh, have their own rhythm. And when, it's like a symphony. I I reckon this to a a symphony when I'm describing it to my students. So you know how a symphony has flutes and oboes and timpanies or whatever? Um, And they cue in at a certain time if they're playing the same piece, right? But they don't all play the same note at the same time. And when they come in and play when they're supposed to, it sounds wonderful, right? And when they don't, it's just a horrible cacophony. So think of your body as that symphony with all of these different elements, your temperatures, your sleep-wake, your cortisol levels, all coming in like instruments. And when they're coming in at the right times and fading at the, at the proper times, you feel good, right? And when, you, and when they're not, you feel crummy. And so that's why we see, you know, a lot of people who have shift work, you know, they're they're kind of out of sorts because their temperature's up when it should be down and vice versa. Yeah, when I worked shift work, it would take, I think, three weeks to get used to a new schedule. And like sometimes they would pull us off the floor for training for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I always worked evening shifts, 3 to 11. Those were always my shifts. I would give away all my morning shifts. But the training was always 7 to 3. And it was usually by... The third Friday, where I would finally start to kind of nestle into that new routine, mm-hmm. and then I was back to my old routine. So I was miserable for three weeks. Yeah, and it, it's not, <laughs> yes. it's not, it's really hard. It's a real challenge. And, I, and we're a more sleep-deprived society than we have ever been. I want to ask about that because I saw a quote the other day from the head of the Sleep Science Center at Berkeley, mm-hmm. and it was ta- he said that sleep is literally your life support system. Less than seven hours a night severely depresses your immune system, lowers your life expectancy, raises your likelihood of cancer and dementia. So sleep well tonight, knowing this. And I thought seven hours, man, that's my best. That's my best case scenario. I I don't know about you guys, but I never hit that. I can't even, even when I try, like on the weekend, I'll sure. try, I'll go to bed and I won't set an alarm and I wake up five hours later, maybe six, maybe six. I think the most sleep I've had in the last three months is six and a half hours. Well, there is some variability, um, but most adults need around seven, eight hours of sleep, right? And kids, depending on, you know, what level, what age they are in terms of their developmental spectrum, they're going to need a lot more. And they're not getting it. I mean, they're seriously sleep deprived. So this is, I think, for a lot of people where the rub comes with these time changes. For themselves, they can manage, they can deal with it. 
but it's so hard to get your kids on a routine anyway. My kids are 13, and I get the pushback all the time on what time bedtime should be, and it's, oh, that's too early, and you're mean, and you're this, and, oh, it's the weekend. I want to stay up later, right? All I mean, you lived yep. it. You know what Four the arguments are know. Right? and know. the pushback the is. Drill. But regardless, yep. we talk about it as the good time change, but you did rain on our parade and said there's really no such thing because there are going to be parents who are going to be battling with their kids to get on a proper schedule for the next few weeks because of this quote-unquote good time change. So one good thing is that kids are actually more resilient than adults. In hey, well, term, that's good news. You know, in terms of um, they need more sleep, but if they have a slight change in sort of uh, bedtime, wake time, they're, they're able to be a little bit more flexible. Now, I'm not recommending that they have a uh, irregular bedtime because actually it's much easier to get your kids to fall asleep um, and yourself to fall asleep if you have a regular bedtime and a regular wake time, right? Now, the other thing that'll really help is getting out and getting some exercise. That really um, helps to relax you. It actually makes you healthy, tired. Healthy, tired. Healthy, tired, right? And that'll help those kids, um, you know, fall asleep. And so uh, the other thing is get those apps, get those uh, cell phones out of the bedroom. Um, That is causing huge amounts of sleep deprivation. How much time should there be between the last moment I look at a screen, use it, let's say the, pho- the phone, and when I lie down and go to bed? Well, uh, you know, I would recommend that people give themselves an hour, at least 45 minutes, um, because you really want to gear down. And part of that is that uh, we have an uh, endogenous hormone, a hormone that our own body um, creates and secretes. And it's called melatonin. I'm sure people have heard of that. And melatonin levels start to rise um, a little bit before uh, our normal bedtime. And it helps us to feel sleepy and fall asleep. But the catch here is that screen time, the lights from the your cell phones, um, TVs, actually contains blue light, which suppresses melatonin. So you still feel more alert, Mm. right? And uh, not only that, but, you know, you may be thinking about all those, you know, thoughts that are uh, happening about the day. What's going to happen tomorrow? You may have some anxieties or worries. And um, so it's really helpful to sort of gear down, get a routine, maybe have a nice warm shower, bath, um, read a book, um, or, or a short magazine. Don't pop in your favorite, you know, uh, thriller movie or something, you know, a murder mystery or something. Um, and, and maybe don't read a Stephen King novel. <laughs> but, but do something that is relaxing to you. And uh, unfortunately, um, our cell phones and messaging with friends is not only engaging, but it can also be at times anxiety-provoking. Keeps your mind going. It does. And so we need to get into a really good space and and help ourselves um, do something that we really need to do. And there there was some interesting research that came out about five years ago about the glymphatic system. Now, I'm not having a speech impediment here. Uh, Most of you have heard of the lymphatic Mm -hmm. system. Well, what was discovered is the glymphatic system. And these are channels that run deep into the brain that perfuse the brain with uh, cerebral spinal fluid, which is this sort of fluid that runs in the back or spinal column and up, and, and we need it, right? But 
that those channels are only open when we're sleeping. Mm. So we don't get the rid of the toxins that build up. We don't give our brain that, you know, all the nutrients that we need um, as rapidly um, as we as we need to. So it's and, like would it be like it's clogged then, like it's not being filtered or whatever. Yes, yes, and, and so there is some perfusion that happens, uh, you know, through other means. But this is like a power washer for the brain, and so can you imagine? You know, it really helps to explain for us why, for example, people get delirium um, uh, in the ICU, and I do some work related in that field as well. And so this is really uh, exact, you know, sort of um, underscoring our need. Or sleep, and there's so many reasons: our immune system, our learning, um, our our emotions, our levels of anxiety. All of these things, uh, mood, uh, memory, our how klutzy we are, all impacted by the amount of sleep we're getting. Diana McMillan is an associate professor at the University of Manitoba. We could talk to you all day. We love listening to you talk. We tell you that every time, but you have a wonderfully soothing voice, and we thank you for visiting us on The Start. Oh, it's always my pleasure. Thank you very much, Jeff Braun. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and we are... Always excited to speak to authors. We've had a host of them in over the last few weeks, and we've got another one here on a really important topic. His name is Don Gilmore. He's a Toronto-based author. He's in Winnipeg this week actually visiting family because he grew up in Winnipeg, so we wanted to get him in here. He is an established writer of novels, children's books, and non-fiction books. And tackling a harsh topic that hits close to home, suicide in white male boomers. Gilmore is the winner in the Governor General Literary Awards for his book, To the River, Losing My Brother, in the non-fiction category. The book largely takes place in Winnipeg with strong connections to Manitoba. So, Don, welcome and congratulations. The awards were just uh, announced this week, right? They were, thank you. That's a pretty big, uh, pretty big deal for you. Um, before we get into the book, you grew up in, in Wildwood, and I was telling you off the air, that's unfortunately an area that I have not ever really mm. had the opportunity to visit once or all that much. I think I've driven through there twice, and it's kind of a magical place. Mm-hmm. It must have been cool to grow up there. It was very cool to grow up there because it, it was designed as a sort of utopian community so that kids wouldn't have to encounter any car traffic basically so there's a big interior park space and then you've got the river there and golf course and yeah it was actually uh, a fantastic place to grow it's up. also created so people and not just removing the cars but so people have to interact with one another instead of all these homes that have been built with backyards where we all just hide in and that's not right. talk to our neighbor you're, you're facing each other your yards are each other's yards in some ways that's right exactly yeah so yeah it was a very intimate neighborhood uh, and people you know there's still people there now that were there when I was a kid, so people tend to stay there. It was sort of a, uh, it was a test, it was an experiment, right, in urban design and this idea of no front street, just a front sidewalk, and uh, cars could use a back alley, but uh, why do you think it never took off? You know, it's a mystery because it it was such a successful experiment, and it was actually designed in the 20s, and there's there's a version in Osaka, Japan, and uh, Irvine, California, and there's, I think, three in England. So they're scattered around, but they never really caught on, and it's a mystery. So the book, To the River, Losing My Brother, nonfiction, is this about your brother? It is about my brother, yeah. Um, my brother was a musician, and a uh, talented musician, and he ended up moving to Whitehorse. 
and was playing up there. And uh, so I lived in Toronto. He was in Whitehorse. We were separated, you know, by great distance. So I didn't see him very often. Um, but he disappeared in December, 14 years ago in December, and his truck was found beside the Yukon River. And so, you know, we didn't know what had happened. Did he walk into the river? Did he disappear? And there was rumors about... So we had to wait till the spring, till his body finally surfaced to find out what had happened. And with that discovery, how many more questions did you then have? There's the, there's the unknown of not knowing where he was, and then once you know, now you probably are thinking, well, Why? Well, that was the big question, and I, I actually flew up there in June. As soon as the ice came off the river, I flew up there to see what I could find out, and in a very eerie coincidence, his body was actually discovered the day that I arrived, although the police didn't have an ID on it, so they didn't tell me. But um, I went around town asking people questions, and, you know, the, one of the problems with suicide is there is this sort of essential mystery at the center, and it's a question, you know, why did he do it? And I talked to friends and bandmates, and you would get these completely different answers. People would say, oh, you know, he was happier than I've ever seen him. And then the next person would say, you know, he was drinking and doing drugs, and he was unhappy in his marriage. And so there was this incredibly complex portrait. And, um, you know, despite all the investigation and the, you know, talks I had with people, you know, there's still a part of you that doesn't really know exactly. There's still a bit of that question why that lingers how do you deal with that, that that not knowing? And there has to be part of you that, that wonders about the time and distance that separated you that that plays on your mind in all of this? Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, one of the ways, I mean, I guess the way I dealt with it was to write the book. I had actually written a, a magazine piece about two years after he died. And I thought, well, I'll work through this and um, and that'll get it out of my system. And but it did, you know, didn't. It just kept lingering, and I thought, well, if I write a book, you know, I'll explore this as far as I can go. And I think that's what happened. There's still, you know, there's parts of it that that will never leave me, obviously. But I think I've explored it as far as I can, and so in a way, I'm at peace with that landscape. In in so far as you can be at peace. I can only imagine you've heard from other people who have lived what you did, and sometimes that's the tremendous gift of sharing your story with others is the fact that it resonates with people and, and maybe gives them an opportunity to find their own. The word closure, I think, is overused, but yeah. maybe just that path to better understanding. Yeah, I th- and, you know, I, I, one of the great things about social media is you do get all this response that you didn't used to get, you know, as a writer, and almost all of it is from people who have been in a similar situation. And it's not as if it answered questions for them, but I think just uh, the ability to kind of look at that exploration and to see a story that resembles their own story, I think there's some kind of satisfaction in that. So it's a personal account in many ways because it tells the story of your brother, but then you get into the idea that, and how old was he, by the way? He was 48. So he was 48, and you talk about this trend, this disturbing trend that we are seeing across North America when it comes to uh, baby boomers or even middle-aged white men. Yeah, exactly. And that's, as I started doing kind of research, I got farther into it and I realized there was this, you know, uh, complete inversion of suicide statistics because it used to be that, you know, men, especially in middle age, this was the safe zone that between, say, 40 and 60, there was very few suicides and so few that there was no sociological literature on it, in fact, and that, that, you know, the dangerous times were adolescence and old age. And that's 
you know, completely reversed so that in, especially in the U.S., but in here as well, um, you know, middle-aged men are now the highest incidence group. And so, the, you know, one of the things that they're looking at is, you know, why, why would this be happening now? And um, there's a you know, number of factors. One is um, that, you know, middle-aged men have kind of lost their uh, place in society. The, you know, the, the sort of sense of entitlement that we've had traditionally is being displaced. There's, you know, younger people in the market. The market's changing so quickly. You know, we don't have the technological skills that, say, millennials do, and we're getting kind of edged out. So there's that. Um, you know, some people think that boomers never developed the kind of coping skills that the previous generations mm. did. You know, they had to deal with the Depression, World War II, and we all we had to do, deal with was, you know, Woodstock. And so there's this, um, uh, there's that. And so it's a, it's a complicated um, kind of soup of reasons. We have shared this uh, article a, a tons of times uh, on this program. Uh, re- resonated with Brett and I a few years ago from the Boston Globe by Billy Baker. I don't know if you know this one, but here's the headline. The biggest threat facing mid- middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity. It's loneliness. Oh, well, that's And so I don't know if that plays a factor in this or not. Just this idea of uh, mm-hmm. we're not really all that... Men are not all that good at at uh, intimate relationships with other men, and maybe that's exasperated in baby boomers. I don't know, but uh, it, it's something to think about. I think. Yeah, definitely, and I think that that uh, it's true. That is a factor, and you see, um, you know, in the statistics, like you know, divorced men are more likely. There's all those things, but but isolation is a real issue, and as you say. You know, we don't have the great gift of kind of um, reaching out. The way women can bond in kind of, you know, instantly, it seems, we're kind of the opposite. So in writing the book, uh, before we let you go here, Don, To the River, Losing My Brother, uh, you wrote the book and it's been, you know, it's an award winner. Um, Have you found some semblance of peace through this process? Uh, you know, I think so. I mean, I, the, in the process of writing it, which took a couple of years and um, in the, in the course of those years, four old friends took their lives, you know, guys I hadn't seen in a long time, but I'd get these phone calls saying, oh, you know, Doug killed himself and Rusty hung himself. And so it just became, I think, um, you know, became a bigger issue. But as I worked through the book, I think I did kind of come to some sort of peace with it. Is there a takeaway for you at the end of it all that in terms of a lesson learned you know, I think the lesson learned, you know, as you mentioned, it's just like, you know, you need these connections. And when those um, wither, then, you know, people are at risk. And um, uh, so I think that that's a critical thing. Keep up those friendships, family, all those things, you know, stay in touch. Don Gilmore is the name of our guest. He is the winner in the Governor General Literary Awards for his book, To the River, Losing My Brother, in the nonfiction category. It largely takes place in Winnipeg with strong Manitoba connections because Don grew up here. He's based in Toronto now, but he grew up here in Winnipeg in Wildwood. Don, thank you very much uh, for coming to visit us to share some of your story. We oh, appreciate thank you. My Don't pleasure. wait until you write another book to come see us again, okay? <laughs> Promise? I won't. Okay, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.